CBS Sports State of Combat podcast with the Brian Campbell coming back at you inside the cage. Mixed martial arts getting you fired up about UFC and beyond. But it's not just your boy BC slinging this performance enhancing audio. It's the Hall of Famer, the earthquake survivor, the former UFC light heavyweight champion, Sugar Rashad Evans. Hey, Rashad, pour some sugar on me, bro. How is it? It's amazing. What's going on, my brother BC? Fired up to have you back on the show. We got Mikey Mormile producing on the ones and twos. We got our boy B-dubs, Brandon Wise, that 6'5", tall glass of water. How is it down there in South Florida? You got a little swamp ass? You okay? You need a little of my ballsy <laughs> products? What's going on? <laughs> it's a little warm out there today. Um, I went to Henry Hoof's gym last night for a little session. Ah, okay. I had a little funny story. Uh, these two girls were trying out the class yesterday. They didn't bring gloves or anything. And one of the managers said, oh, just use these gloves that are on the counter. And uh, they start working out. And all of a sudden, one of the pros comes over and says, hey, those are my gloves. Sorry. Like, I really need them. And she's bas- they're basically pulling them off of her. <laughs> yeah. And the pro, Matt Mitrione. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Rashad, this guy wise is uh, he's, he's kind of fighting out of his weight class trying to go down to that gym now, right now. Like, he's going to end up getting a spinning kick to the noggin right now you know what though the, the guys in the gym they, they keep their egos in check pretty well so they, they're uh they're well aware that guys like wise helps pay the bills in the gym so they don't they don't they don't crack them up they actually help them out i actually think Wise should pull out his inner rashad and walk into that gym and be like put it on me i want you to put it on me i want you to try to do your best to put it on me because that's the only way i want it if you don't give me everything you got i'm gonna be pissed off that's what she said. Oh, Tito. Come on, Tito. Come on already, Tito. Where, where was that from? I, I don't even know what that, that was from. That was Tito Split screen satellite interview, you and Tito hamming it up. Oh, on my gosh. Oh, my gosh. All the things up. I probably said. Oh, All right. We got a loaded show coming at people. We want to break down a lot of headlines that came out of UFC Sacramento this past weekend from Mr. Faber's return to a questionable stoppage in that main event. We want to spin it forward, talk about all the latest news, Bellator in the headlines, and get you ready for Saturday's UFC San Antonio card on ESPN. want to remind you, it is five-star review season. Hey, if you're impressed by this show. I'm not impressed by your performance. All right, all right, George. If you are impressed by the performance of this show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Tinder, Wherever you're going to swipe right, swipe it in our direction. Thank you. All righty then. Um, Rashad, you're now retired. Does that mean there's a lot of golf in your life? Well, I mean, I'm actually terrible at golf, but uh, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at uh, top golf. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's a different kind of golf, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know Brandon Wise, big time golf editor, writer aficionado in these parts and brandon maybe you got to tell me about it but that fourth and final golf major of 2019 is here right right yes sir all right in in northern ireland that's what i'm talking about and you know the cbs sports first cut podcast is set to break that thing down it's the open championships all week long and our brethren kyle porter mark immelman and chip patterson will have you covered with a preview podcast 
this week, as well as post-round analysis after round two on Friday and following the final round on Sunday. Be sure to subscribe to the First Cut Podcast for coverage of all things Royal Port Rush all week. Is that what we're calling it? Royal Port Rush? I don't speak this. It's the name of the course, dude. All right, moving on, moving on. All right, Rashad, we haven't talked to you since UFC 239 when so many things went down, but that was your moment. That was your spotlight that Friday night before Godsmack uh, reportedly rocked (laughs) people's worlds. You came out there on the mic, had your Hall of Fame moment, but your moment went viral, my friend, for other reasons. (laughs) Let's hear that sound now. It was good discipline. You know, all of that, you know, it, it, it paved the way for my, my, oh, it was an earthquake. Uh oh. Okay, earthquake, baby. All right. Hey, that's me bringing that heat. That's me bringing that heat. That was you bringing that heat. First person account, bro. Tell us about it. Man, it, it was bananas. You know, uh, before doing that speech, I, you know, I was I was a bit nervous, but then. You know, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to speak from the heart and just let it all come out. Because when you have a moment like that, you want to be able to say it all and you want to be able to, you know, sound like, you know, you, you, you've you thought about this and not be crying and be able to just put it together. So I was thinking about how I'm going to go across this moment. And, uh, you, know, I'll, you know, honestly, I think about Michael Jordan and his, his Hall of Fame when he had the tears. <laughs> so I'm like, man, I don't want to be sovereign like that when people make a bunch of memes of me. So. <laughs> Uh, I, I was nervous about that aspect of it. So um, when I was up there speaking, I, I kind of started to get into my groove. And as I started to get into my groove, the room just started shaking. And at first, I thought it was me. I thought I was like, oh, my gosh, I think, you know, I'm a little too nervous. My legs are going out. I felt like I was shaking. I'm like, man, I'm about to pass out. And then I looked around the room and I noticed people starting to get up and get out. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it must be an earthquake because we just had one like two days, a day before that one. So it, it started going again. I'm like, oh my God, it's an earthquake. And then it, it was nuts, man, because, you know, it was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, like God, you know, was just like, you know, <laughs> hey, you pay attention, you know, and it was, it was like one of those things that just kind of, it, it gave you chills, just, just the chances of that happening when I was doing my speech was just like, wow. All right. Brandon and I were walking through the casino at that time on the way back to the room. I think it's because of the flashing lights. We didn't necessarily feel it. But did you have like a legit O-ish moment where you thought like this show might get shut down? We might have a real problem here? Yeah, I, I actually um, I actually w- was thinking that, you know, they're going to get come and get me off the stage and everybody's going to evacuate the building because we were um, we were in the basement. That's where we're in the basement of the Palms, and that's where the whole uh, event was. So we were actually in the worst place to be if, if an earthquake happened because we would have been, you know, piled under all a bunch of rubble if anything terrible would have happened. So it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Get, get those guys out of here. Uh, how did it end up going for you, Rashad? This was a, a major moment. It brought so many years of hard work and dreams together. We talked a lot in the previous weeks about what you might be feeling. What was that love like? All that coming together in one night and putting that jacket on. 
it was it was magical and it was better than anything that I've ever thought of. You know, I wore that jacket all night, every club, <laughs> every club we went to, I wore it. It, it. it was uh, it was it was amazing just because, you know, it's one thing to 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 be out there and compete and to go out there and leave your hard work and stuff like that and you know throughout the years and stuff like that. But it's another thing to, you know, to have that uh, put into. Uh, I guess a moment where everyone's telling you how much you appreciate everything that you've done and, and what you've meant to them. And that was a, the, the, the part that really touched me because, you know, so many people that, you know, are, are great athletes and so many great people, you know, have told me that, you know, uh, you know, what I've done have affected them in a positive way. And that just, that's what it's all about for me. So it was a, a surreal moment to say the least. Well, I want to give you and, and our boy, John Jones, a, a high five for, that piece we did on CBS Sports <laughs> oh, HQ. Yeah. People can check it out on YouTube right now. Sort of you guys just telling the old stories of, of friendship to foes and back again. That was some really cool sound, man. It was great seeing you guys bro out like that. Yeah, you know, it, it's actually cool. You know, um, now that, that uh, you know, I've gotten a bit older and, and the things between me and John have, you know, kind of fizzled in the past. You know, we've been actually been able to you know, have that common ground every single time that we, we see each other and stuff like that. And it's pretty cool because, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning a different aspect of John and getting to know him as, as a man as before, you know, he was, he was, uh, a lot younger when I really knew him, you know, as a training partner. So as a man, you know, he, he's a, he's a different man and, um, it is, it's, it's good to be able to sit back and just, you know, have that, have that uh that story about the journey that we both went on in this crazy world of uh, MMA. No question about it. Brando, you and I were able to sort of give our hot takes coming out of 239, but a couple weeks removed. Rashad, do you have anything you want to add out there in the ethos ethosphere of the podcast space? You and I did a nice wrap up right after that card ended on CBS Sports HQ. Now a couple weeks removed though, whether it's John Jones, Amanda Nunez, Jorge Masvidal, what's on your mind coming out of that card? Well, I mean, the only thing that can be on my mind is Jorge Masvidal's knee, and you know, it just, just, just an amazing performance by Jorge Masvidal. But more or less because of the fact that he's lined himself up for that title shot, and he's going against my boy Kamaru Usman, who I call KD Kamaru Dean, and uh, it's it's going to be an interesting fight just because, you know, this kid is exciting, you know, and uh, you know he he's he's believing himself in a way in which I have never seen him before, and I watch this kid compete. Way, way before he was even in UFC, when he was still still doing the uh, still doing the the bare knuckle stuff. So you know, this guy has come a long way, and um, you know he's paid his dues, and he's hungry. So that it's going to be an interesting matchup to see whoever he fights next, whether it be yeah, Kamaru Usman or or Conor McGregor, whoever is going to be, it's going to be fire. Or or maybe Leon Edwards if he wins this weekend, we're going to get into all <laughs> yeah, of that. You that never that's know. interesting too. But Brandon, I mean, you got to give. Uh, our boy Jorge Masvidal, three-piece in a soda, a high five. He comes off of this win, a a potential counterculture superstar now. People know his name. He's doing flying knees on the Levitard show. And he said, I want a title shot or I want Connor. And I could almost argue that Connor would be a, a, a better move for him at this point. I mean, what he really wants is money. And I can't argue with a guy who's been in the game for as long as he has and hasn't really had a main event, so to speak. Like, he's always been on the undercards of these major pay-per-view events, and he's never gotten his due shine. Now he's taking advantage of it. You know, he's, he's as uh, Ariel Hawani wrote this week, he's the first guy outside of Connor that has actually gotten casual fans interested with the way that he celebrated that win and the way that he's talked afterwards. So I think 
all of this makes sense. I don't really care who they put him in there against next because it's going to sell no matter what, because he's going to be able to sell it. And I think I, I really do like putting him against Kamaru if they actually go that route, because I think that's actually a really interesting style matchup between those two. Yeah. But you know what, though? I think uh, here's here's what I like about I like the Kamaru matchup. And I like it just because, you know, it's a title fight and stuff like that. And I think he deserves a title fight. But if I'm like his manager, if I'm somebody who's who's wanting to watch this star rise, I want to put him in there with a guy like Conor McGregor. I want to see, you know, how high his star can rise, because truthfully speaking, he says the right things. He 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 has that. He talks just enough trash where it's not even talking trash is very smooth. He's got that. He's got the it factor right now. You know what I'm saying? So I think that a fight with him against conor mcgregor or somebody that's going to bring that kind of notoriety would would definitely uh it, it'd be a blockbuster you think he's more of a celebrity fighter type now than than championship fight no i, I don't think so I, I think he's still championship fight i think that he just comes from a different perspective that that is um that's very that's very needed you know what i'm saying like like how how often do we get tired of that guy that's talking trash on the internet or that guy who's just talking trash and you just want to shut him up and you don't <laughs> want to say nothing. You just kind of just let your work do, do it for yourself. And that's what he symbolizes. That's what he, he he speaks for those people who's who's about the realness in life, who's just not about the playing the games and all of the games that we play. You know, that's what Jorge Masvidal is about. And that's why he resonates with so many people. Nailed it. People, people tired of the games. People crave authenticity. And yeah. so often in boxing and MMA, they sort of, borrow from pro wrestling in terms of spinning narratives and making you care about fights. But sometimes even with a Conor McGregor, certainly with a Colby Covington, you end up questioning, is this a real beef? Is this real? Is this just an act? Is this pro wrestling? Good Lord, Rashad. Oh, George is real. So, yeah. I mean, he like people can feel that. They can understand that. But let's be honest one more time. Talking about 239, Rashad. If um one of your opponents had knocked you cold and done some of that ish next to you you're gonna casually take that out and walk away or are you showing up at whole foods to get him back <laughs> i don't know the way he did him was so dirty I, I i would think twice before i ever said anything to him again i'm gonna be <laughs> i'm gonna keep it real that that knockout is, is not one that you you, you can kind of write off as if like you were in a punching exchange and he just caught you with just a split second before that's the kind of one like where you got to think about a let, let me rethink about how i'm how i'm even my whole fight game in, in, in particular, you know, because, I mean, he was just going out to start the fight. <laughs> and and the way he started it was just, you know, I mean, uh, wh- where do you go from there? Where do you go if you're his coach and be like, dude, OK, we're going to try to start off a little bit different. You got to watch out for this. We got to watch. I mean, that's just the knee. He didn't even throw any punches yet, you know, or any kicks. So. Oh my goodness! I think I think you just have to kind of take that. <laughs> what was the reaction in the crowd? I, I was at Media Row. You were sort of oh, in those close front seats with the be- with the rest of the big name UFCs. And I mean, what was that like? Oh my gosh! Everyone's mouth was on the floor. There wasn't a mouth that wasn't on the floor. Everybody just turned and looked to each other with their mouth looking the exact same way. Just like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> and is and then and then it got to the scary part where. You know, where we all seen people knocked out and some of us even been knocked out. But then there's a point where it gets scary. And then that's after a few minutes where you're still not seeing that person move around. And then that's what we've seen with Ben. And it's like, all right, come on, Ben, let's get up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, let's get up now. Because, you know, I mean, we all, we all play the game and no one wants anyone to get seriously hurt. So uh, 
that was a scary moment there. But uh, that knee was just it was. Whew. Speaking of your seats on this night, did you happen to get a view of what went down between Nate Diaz and Habib Nurmagomedov? Yeah, it was actually right in the area where where I was uh, where I was sitting, and it, it was just a uh, little, little um, you know, when Nick got to a seat for some reason I don't know why the the UFC set uh, Diaz right behind <laughs> Habib. It's <just> like, <laughs> hold on, sorry. It's just like they know about this beef for oh, the longest time, but it's like nobody thought to put two and it's, two together that they're gonna sit next to each other and start yelling at each other. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know who goes into making these decisions, <laughs> but that one was not a well thought out one I for sure. I support that decision, by the way. I support that decision. <laughs> Where I come from, you know, people like that get slapped. Yes, thank you. Love it. Hey, All right. I, I knew when I seen Diaz that night. I knew that he was not about the games either because he came with his crew. And I was like, oh, man, it's about to pop off. And you can just kind of feel it, you know. And, uh, you know, he's not about the games either. So with him, he's another one that keeps it real on site. Whenever he has a problem with somebody, he don't play around. It's just whenever he sees somebody he has a problem with on site, it's a fight. Good Lord, we're talking about, you know, how do you maximize Jorge Masvidal's <laughs> marketing potential? Could you imagine him and Nate? That would be the realest oh, fight you could God. make. It it'd be too real though. I, I think I think it it'd be so real that it wouldn't. I don't know because they 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 kind of both come from the same energy. You know what I'm saying? Yes. They're they're both not gonna say too much. Or I mean, maybe maybe you can get Nick to kind of say you know Nick to kind of say a little a bit, but I don't know. I'm not surprised, mother. All right, <laughs> hey, uh, we got a lot to get into. We got to break down that UFC Sacramento card and more. But first, let's hear a word from our friends and sponsors. Dig it. And we're back, BCB Dubs in the Hall of Famer, Sugar Rashad Evans and Gentlemen. A lot of headlines coming out of that UFC Fight Night Sacramento card over the weekend. A lot of interesting debates on how things are handled, what should happen next. Hey guys, I think the one name who stole the night though, not Herb Dean. It's Mr. Faber. It's Uriah. It's the 40-year-old washed like me. Only he ain't washed, bros. And he's back after a two-plus-year retirement. And with Ricky Simone choosing to run headfirst into oncoming traffic, he made that a little bit of a sparked brawl. And Mr. Faber took the kid's soul. Did not see this coming. Rashad, your reaction. It, it was amazing, you know, to, to, to come back after being off for so long and to fight the way that Uriah did, you know, to to be able to withstand, you know, in, in the moments of the fight where things got scary and, and things didn't look like it was going his way, you know, to work through that adversary, adversity and then come out and get that W the way that he did in his hometown is amazing. I mean, first, let, let's just think about this. I mean, you're out for two years, you come back and then you're fighting at home. You know, all of the pressure, all of the things that you have not been a part of for the last few years are coming back times 10 because you're at home and you're expected to give that that, you know, that, I guess, welcome that Uriah Faber welcome. So uh, for him to go out there and knock it out the park, it, it was uh, it was masterful. It was. Uh, and I want to take nothing away from him because his speed was still there. His timing was still there. And having interviewed him a couple of days, you know, a week before, excuse me, at UFC 239. In an interview that ran on our podcast last week, you heard the the rewiring of the of the brain and the body seemed to be back. That rest sort of recharged him. So it was all there. 
And like you mentioned, he kind of withstood some early thunder when Simone got to him with a big punch. That flying knee, I thought it was Jorge 2.0. I was worried for a second for Mr. Faber's future and health. But Rashad, is there any form of fool's gold in this win? Before we talk about what could be next for the California kid, I think we're going to still call him. Was there any form of, hey, Ricky Simone? You got a guy who hasn't been in the game for a few years. You got a guy who was 40 in front of you. You got a guy who you might want to drag into deep waters and find out if he still wants to be doing this at this level. And you sort of play into his hands with the kind of outcome that plays into it. Like, hey, Faber still got the timing down. He's still quick enough. I thought Simone a little bit too reckless in that opening round. And good Lord, he paid for it in 46 seconds. Don't you want to take the old guy, uh, uh, see what he's got here, stretch it out a little? Absolutely. I, I would think so. You know, you, you definitely want to um, make the guy have to uh, feel uncomfortable in the cage. And anything you can do with a guy who's not been there for a while is just make him be in the cage for longer than than, than, uh, than he's expecting. So um, rushing the fight, it makes the fight come back faster for someone who hasn't been out in the game. You know, because for me, I, I, I like my violence fast. I like it fast because when it's fast – then that means that I'm not thinking and I can just kind of react. You know, I'm in react mode. But when you have to kind of think and be a little bit more methodical, that can, you know, that can be the ring rust that we hear so much about. That's where the ring rust is when it comes down to executing technique. Because when I don't, when, when I don't have ring rust is when I'm used to being in the fighting flow and everything is just boom, 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 I'm reacting. But when I'm not used to competing, I have to get used to being, feel comfortable again. Okay, how's my timing here? And then I'm more cerebral. I'm thinking a little bit more. So my timing is off. So it appears to be ring rust, you know? So I think he helped out Uriah just by trying to jump on him a little too fast. And look, Uriah's big right hand was there. That was a the kind of stoppage when we don't normally see from him. Good Lord, if you're trying to make a statement that you're back, that's the best possible statement. But here's where it gets tricky. Here's where we are going to have to... Put on a few hats at once. Put on our MMA purist hat. Put on our is this sport or entertainment hat. Put on our what's best for business hat. Because leading into this fight, two-division champion Henry Cejudo, the king of cringe, kind of called out Faber, said, I'd love to fight him. After Faber's win, you saw Uriah call out Cejudo. You saw this sort of weird back-and-forth interaction on Twitter that followed. I think somewhere in there, Uriah said he wants to teabag. Uh, Cejudo, I think that's what happened. It was it was a little bit weird. Reminded me of that Benavidez Cejudo trash talk. I used to f- guys cool. like you in high school. All right, I don't want to hear what happened in high school. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, guys, what do we do with this? Here's the deal: Does Faber deserve a title shot at bantamweight with those killers in line against Cejudo? In the terms of a pure sport, no. But uh. This ain't a pure sport anymore, guys. It's entertainment. It's promotion. It's the fight game. And Dan Henderson at 46 got a title shot against Bisping. What? Because he beat Hector Lombard and he's got history with Mike? No, I wasn't happy for that then. But I'm going to be kind of uh, contradict myself and be like, I'm here for Faber Cejudo. Deal with that, Rashad. I'm here for it. No way. Listen, listen. First of all, I love that. Who's, I mean, um, Faber came back and he looked phenomenal as he did. But to go and skip the line with the killers that he has before him 
at that in the division. I think it'd be ter- you know terribly unfair, but for the most part, I don't think it'd be good for Faber because of the fact that listen, he did have that great performance, but you know he's been out for two years and he does need to kind of get kind of get his, his his wings under him a little bit. I mean, he did look a little bit he did look sharp the way that he was coming out and how he was attacking and his movement and his reaction time and in his in his pace that he was kind of his movement in that fight, but there's a lot of guys in that weight class, a lot of tough guys in that weight class that I think that I think it'd be uh, a shame to that weight class once again to have somebody skip over. And then because you got to remember, Cejudo came in that weight class and he just kind of dropped the bomb. And of course, he, you know, he was a champion at 125 and he did beat the, the current, the well, was the current champion and mm-hmm. Dillashaw. So that gave him, uh, I guess, a little bit more uh, credence to be there. But at the same time, he was new to that weight class. Another guy coming to new to weight class, jumping everybody. I think it it it, uh, it it wouldn't it would it would be devastating to the weight class. All right, Brandon, I want you to settle the tie in a second. I just have a true or false question here for Rashad. I respect that answer, and this is a gray area. It's a total gray area. I'm already contradicting myself. But did you have that same energy when GSP came back and was given a title shot in the division <laughs> he's never competed against Bisping? Or did you uh, say, no, I like George. I'm in on this, bro. I uh, see. You got me. You got me there. But here, here, that, that, that's very true. That's very true. That's very true. But here's, here's the difference here. The difference is who GSP was when he left the UFC. You know, the, he was a champion. He retired as a champion. So I can understand if Uriah came as a champion and he came back after being from two years and he was a champion and retired, then I'll say, Heck yeah, we got to put Uriah in there for that belt because he is that champion. You know, he is the standard. So they're not really the same, but I definitely hear what you're saying, BC. <laughs> Why is you going to protect your large adult son, Peter Yan, here? You're damn right I am. I mean, I will say this. I understand the Bisbing thing more just because that seemed more like softish matchmaking just because they knew Bisbing wasn't going to last very long. That's why they gave him old ass Dan Henderson. And then so you're selling tickets, you know, all that. This is so different because Cejudo, they think, could be a star. He's two division champ now, obviously. But look at the division, man. He just beats Marlon Moraes. You got Aljamain Sterling there. Rafaela Sunsau is still lingering there. Peter Yan is now in the mix. Pedro Munoz. Dominic Cruz is going to be coming back soon, by the way. You could make that fight again if you really want to. And then Cody Garbrandt is going to be coming back from his surgery. Jimmy Rivera is still there. Corey Sanhagen. All these guys are ahead of Uriah Faber Mm -hmm. before a title shot. I'm sorry. He needs to fight somebody in the top 10, not a top 15 guy named Ricky Simone. Okay, you're not wrong. Great mullet, by the way. Great mullet. Bad style plan. Great mullet. You're not wrong, okay? You're not wrong, especially if we're talking about is this a real sport? You're not wrong. But hear me out on this. Cejudo fits a certain market as a potential Mexican-American crossover superstar that UFC has been trying to hit and has been unsuccessful for years. He has already received opportunities early, meaning a chance to become a two-division champion that other people don't ever get or don't get for a long time. It's clear UFC wants to see what they can do with this guy as a star. And yes, he's the king of cringe, but I'll give him credit. He's trying. He's trying to be a star. He's shooting a shot with the Bellas. He's trying different things. If you're Dana and company, you might say to yourself this, Brando. You might say, there's some killers there. I mean, Peter Jan might be the guy. Aljo might beat Cejudo. So... 
to make those fights bigger down the road, I should use Mr. Faber's name to rub up Cejudo. That's how business works, and it's not fair, but sometimes we pick and choose who we like better. I didn't love the idea of Bisping Hendo. I surely love the idea of GSP coming back, and I don't know if it's just because I don't like the cringe that Henry offers, but to me right now, 40-year-old Mr. Faber is the hero we need to steal one of those titles away from the king of cringe. That's a storyline that the fan in me, not the journalist in me, but the fan in me can pop for. The first-time father coming back, feeling energized. Oh, and by the way, there's that group, Brandon, we always talk about. The Bridesmaids Club, right? The Dan Hendersons, the Joseph Benavidez's, the Nate Diaz's, the Chael Sonnen's, the best fighters in UFC history who have never worn gold. Faber's in that category. I'd like to see him get Biggie one more chance at getting out of that. Is this an emotional choice by me? Yes. But guess what? If you put a gun to my head, I would tell you UFC's going to do it. <laughs> Look, I love the energy. I love it. I love it. I love it. But here's the reality. If, if they do that, then, I mean, it just pretty much just says to everyone else, hey, we have nothing else. We have nothing else. And and we don't like and, and, and it can't here's the thing about it. They they can't always be in a position to constantly just throw like fights together that, that really don't make any sense. Sometimes when they throw fights together that make any sense, you can kind of see that, oh, okay, I can kind of see that. But this is not even a kind of can see that. This is like and here's the thing, if you're Uriah Faber, I wouldn't even want to take a title shot. Because if you're serious about getting a title, then then he should know that he's not he's not ready yet. He's not ready yet. He knows that he probably needs at least two more fights before he considers a title. And, and, and one, just to kind of feel, you know, what he should have felt this fight, you know, a little bit longer or whatnot. And then another one to make sure that what he felt the, the second fight was something he can implement on the third fight. So then you get a pattern saying, OK, now I feel like I have my system down. Now I can go and challenge for a title. I think that will be the the a real ticket that people buy because at the end of the day, even though Uriah can be somebody and does have that popularity, fans are not going to buy that he's ready yet to be, you know, in a position to chase for a title. But so even if he does get the title is, shot, fans are going to be like baloney. But his money fight is TJ Dillashaw and TJ is not going to be around. That's for a the while. money. That's the money fight. That is the money fight. So it's interesting. All right. What do you got? B-dubs? I will say this though. Two things to remember. Cody Garbrandt is his teammate and his apprentice almost. Yeah. And his new his new apprentice, Song Yedong, who made his debut at UFC 239, is also in this bantamweight class. Also, Sohudo is going to be out until at least January 2020. Ooh. So he's got another five months mm. of like time, like you're saying, to get another fight in and to right. probably get some more rhythm in the cage because Sohudo had that double sh- shoulder surgery. So now he's going to miss – a significant amount of time so we're building towards a fight that i think could happen like bc saying because ufc needs the business and by the way you put that thing in socal and you build up like oh, yeah. the animosity between those two that's gonna sell big and to go off what you're saying though they probably see the dollar signs in that fight more than seeing it in a Sahudo sterling or Sahudo peter yan or any of those because they know uriah halls are or uriah hall uriah favors already an established name so 
Rashad, I wanted to get your take on something I said, and it's a cruel way to say it, the Bridesmaids Club. You either won a title or you didn't. <laughs> but look, let's be honest here. If Bisping doesn't upset Luke Rockhold at 199 and we're gold, he's not getting in that hall, in my opinion. So how much does is that real to a fighter? Like, it's happened to you. You, you, you popped is, that cherry. You won the belt. You went to the hall. You may have been there without it. People can argue that. But is it is it that much on the mind of a favor that I need to have this happen? I, I think so. I think there's there's a big part of him, you know, and especially for a guy like Faber who's been in the game for so long, you know, to not have that, that UFC title. I think that's definitely a title that that eludes him. And that's one that he chase he's chasing, you know, when, when you've been uh such an impact in the sport but not having that that stamp you know from what the biggest organization i think it it does play in your mind and i think you know for a guy like um uriah i think he he's pursuing that i think it's something that made him want to come out of retirement you know that's the kind of thing that makes you not sleep at night makes you wake up in the middle of the night early you know to go and run just because you can't you know it's that energy that's there that you still feel like you have so yeah, he, he he's one of he's he's in the club for sure. Right, for I, sure, he's. I have in a club. different question about energy because we have we're lucky here. We got a Hall of Famer on site. We got a guy who's lived it. Bennett is still it. By the way, um, Rashad, something happens to me in Vegas when I cover fights, boxing, MMA. Uh, during the daytime hours, right? I'm a journalist, yeah. bro. You know, right? I'm professional. Right. It's cool. But come the nighttime, BC comes out <laughs> to play. I ain't no journalist now. Do you know what I am? I'm an aggressive fan. Sometimes I got a few <laughs> pops in me. Sometimes I'm hitting that window. I Sometimes I'm getting fat. Actually, I'm always getting fat. But I'm an aggressive fan. <laughs> so if I see a fighter in the casino walkways, hey, if it's a Spanish-speaking boxing champion that has touched my heart and Eric Morales, I'm going to go up to my campeon and I'm going to tell him about how much I respect his huevos because that's how I get down. I like moments. I want to take a picture. I want to have that. So when Brandon Wise and I are walking around the New York, New York casino, you know, 239 weekend, and we seen his grown-ass adult son, Peter Jan, his boy, standing there (laughs) in the walkway with, like, one of those flashy bedazzled shirts that you'd wear out to the club the ed hardy shirts you remember those <laughs> ed hardy shirts yeah, i gotta yep. be like peter yan bro what's happening <laughs> i set up a picture i make him do the fist yan no sells the crap out of us yeah he stands there with the fist he don't want anything to do with us when you're a fan rashad i'm sorry when you're yeah. a famous fighter and this happens if you're gonna go out in public with one of those shirts during ufc fight weekend you gotta welcome that right Absolutely, absolutely. Whenever I go out and it's a UFC fight weekend, I'm always ready for the fans. And I even come, I even make sure I get extra rest just so that way I'm not cranky or whatnot. If I get into an argument or something with somebody or I'm in a bad mood, I'll sit my grumpy ass in a room until I feel better to be around people because <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, here's the reality. It, it does get to be like, oh my God, okay, can I get a minute? But at the same time, Without the fans, without you guys being so crazy about what we do, we're just people who like to fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're just people who like to fight, and and there's and there's no there, there's nothing to that besides just you like to fight. So when the fans, you know, they see you and they and they want to take pictures and stuff like that, I come out and I'm ready for it, man. I, I'm ready for it. Sometimes what does get annoying though, sometimes fans they 
they they know that you'll take the pictures, but then they get aggressive, like they just expect it without even asking, you know, just come up and just start, you know, just start taking your picture. That part gets annoying. But for the most part, you got to know you're going to be taking pictures of the fans, though. All right, but but wise was Peter Yan's reaction on brand though. He is sort of that psycho killer Keskase 2.0 Habib style, right? I mean, yeah, but it was also like 11:30 at night and he was clearly waiting for somebody and you were just like, "Dude, take a picture." All right. You were kind of being the guy that Rashad is describing. Yeah, that <laughs> All right. Rashad, though, when you have that celebrity in your real life and I don't know, maybe it's 1:30 and you're at Walmart and you're and you're trying to find something that you don't want people, you know, maybe you got to pick up a package of tampons for a lady. <laughs> All I'm saying is, do you have those awkward moments in life you're like, "Oh, no, not now. I ain't that funny." Yes. Yes. Yes, all the time. All the time I have those moments, man. Of course, that happens to me. Sometimes I'm doing something and I have a fan. I'm like, oh my gosh, not right now. Yes, yes. Yeah, it happens. Don't notice me right now. Don't notice me. I'm here at this place. Don't notice me. That happens to me all the time. I can be in a place where I'm not not wanting to be seen at, not wanting to take a picture at, and someone's like, oh, can I get a picture? I'm just like, oh, oh man. <laughs> Gosh, yes. You're yeah. like, yeah, it's me. It's Rampage Jackson. Great to meet you. Yeah, right. exactly. I, you know what? I have done that. I have said that on Rampage many, many times <laughs> in a place where I didn't want to be. <laughs> Rip down a door to that. I love it. All right. Yes. Okay. So why are you turning on a door? Exactly. Why? Hey, let's uh, <laughs> let's let's roll on here. This main event gave us a women's bantamweight matchup with title implications when former featherweight champion Jermaine Durandamy took on yeah, kind of rising unproven but but local product and big name on the rise aspen lad uh hey guys it only lasted 16 seconds and i think the winner was herb dean no the loser was herb dean uh the stoppage here very polarizing reaction one punch from durandamy it sat lad down she wasn't out cold she was still sitting up but Dean jumped in before a follow-up punch could land and instantly waved off the fight. Rashad, what do you got here? Well, I mean, listen, I mean, when you got a fighter like Ladd and she's a young fighter, um, you don't want to see the second and third shot to see how knocked out they get if they take a shot. I'm going to be honest. If, if that's my fighter and she's a young fighter like that, I would rather walk away with feeling like I could have done more. That was an early stoppage them being knocked out and being like, man, I really got my butt kicked. You know what I'm saying? So that that's that's the the silver lining in that in that stoppage. Uh, the truth the, the the truth of the matter is the fact that uh, Duranami did a very nice combination. You know, she pulled their hand down and then she dropped that straight right right behind it, um, and it sat her down. I don't think that is always necessarily come with a cover because as you can tell by Lad, even after the fight was over, she was still kind of dazed and confused. And maybe it's kind of her demeanor because she's very even keel, you know what I'm saying? But she kind of looked just a little dazed to me still at, even afterwards. But there's a difference between dazed and out. And I'm not trying to be insensitive here. Very true. But Rashad, I think the closer we curtail stoppages, and by the way, there's a difference between Round four, somebody's taking a beating all fight. They just got dropped on their ass by a punch. Okay, maybe that's enough. This was 16 seconds into the biggest fight of Aspen Ladd's career. She wasn't not cold. She wasn't spread eagle on the canvas. She was dropped by one punch. So I have major problems with the stoppage because there's people that go, well, Herb saved her from a flush, unguarded shot. Okay. 
But he also robbed her of the chance to eat that flush shot and tie up and get back up and maybe come back and win this fight and show us something. And again, I'm not trying to discount insensitivity and damage to a young fighter and all those things. But hey, guys, it's still a damn cage fight. And are we going to get to the point where when someone gets dropped, the fight's over? Because we're kind of getting closer to that with these type of stoppages. It was one punch. It was 16 seconds in. She wasn't out of it. This wasn't, hey, that guy got knocked out by a kick to the face. Oh, and here's two or three extra punches before the referee can get there. It was one punch. Brandon, are you gonna? Yeah. Am, I, am I insensitive? Where, where where are you at on this? I mean, like, can we give her a chance? She was she was seated. Yeah, this is one of those things that I was thinking about yesterday, where it's like, do we want to get to the point where it's like boxing, where we right. give somebody a chance to gather themselves and see if they are still there? Because this was supposed to be a, an interesting fight and an interesting showdown between two people that are considered title contenders, and to have one punch where, like BC said, she wasn't clearly out of it decide the fight is just kind of like okay did we really learn anything is is Jermaine DeBrandemy really that clearly much that much better than Aspen Ladd at this point I I don't know yeah no I I I totally I totally get all of that but here here's the thing about it whenever we're we're saying that we need to see them out stuff like that is that you know at what at what point does that shot that we need to see to put them out like if she's pretty much unguarded and she's pretty much dazed and she's just like a sitting duck, then that one shot can do a lot of damage. You know what I'm saying? Like, like for instance, the the everyone talks about the extra shots that that Ben, I mean that uh, Ben received afterwards. Well, I mean he could have still been up. He could have still been awake. And, and everyone's giving Jorge, uh, they're giving Jorge a hard time. But, oh, were those extra shots necessary? Now we're saying they are necessary. You get what I'm saying? At what point? At what point are we going to say, okay, that was a good stoppage because that person could not defend themselves no more? Do we have to see someone totally sprawled out, concussed for a few minutes, knocked out for a few minutes before we say, okay, that was a good stoppage? I just think that argument works, Rashad, when someone's on their back. And I'm not saying you can't be on your ass and still be out. You could be on your ass and out. But my point is, it's like you are sort of fighting to either win a decision or knock somebody out, right? Or, or make them right. tap. That's right. still what we're doing. I know that like we're somewhat civilized now where we're not, it's not knockout or nothing. I mean, there are, there are great yeah. stoppages. It's just, it's hard to stand on that mountain when she's still seated in my mind. Maybe I'm wrong, but there are some potential asterisks or additions here that I want to get your guys take on. One no, of them. It, they're, they're... Was uh was Herb Dean the referee for uh Jorge and um yes. and Ben? Also, uh, yes, okay. Also, so, when Luke so and as a, when the yeah, people thought Luke so as a person, bad. yeah. So so as a person, he's he. I mean, just from his last UFCs, there was the two biggest knockouts on his watch. You know what I'm saying? So as a referee, he doesn't he doesn't want to see someone take five minutes to get back up. You know, you know that means that as a referee, he's like, man, maybe I could have protected him better. You know what I'm saying? So well, maybe that's, that's what Herb is going through. Like, I don't want to see this girl be sprawled out for two or three minutes trying to trying to find out 
who she is. You brought up an interesting sub-headline there. The potential of <laughs> has Herb Deem's recent history, which also includes the Rockhold-Bwawichich fight, in which some people thought he let Rock Rockhold take a couple extra shots. So the question there is, was that playing on, on Herb's mind? I want to ask you guys straight up, was it because it was a female fight involving a young fighter? Does that make referees more sensitive than letting a Diego Sanchez hardened, tattooed warrior take a few extra shots? Is that ever on the mind of a referee knowing TV contracts and the idea that we're new-ish to the women's game? Or am I making that up? Because I've heard a lot of that on Twitter. I don't think it's that. I think I think a referee goes into every single fight knowing who he's refereeing, knowing the kind of fighter that he's refereeing, knowing the fact that sometimes this kind of fighter can get dropped, but then he has the ability to keep fighting forward and stuff like that. So I think some referees already know what to expect from the fighters who they're refereeing. That's how they prep. So um, some with already have in mind, okay, if he gets hit or gets dazed, I'm going to let him go a little bit. But for fighters that are pretty much unproven in that aspect, then you just have to err on the side of caution. And I think that's what he just did, erred on the side of caution. Just a note, by the way, Jason Herzog was the ref for Ben Askren, Jorge Masvidal, not uh, okay. Herb Dean. But oh, Herb Dean was the ref for the Ben Askren, uh, Robbie, Robbie Lawler fight. Yes, yes Robbie yeah. Lawler fight, which, which was a very highly controversial. All right, the other, Brandon, the other thing I wanted to bring up is let's not lie and act like we didn't watch Aspen Ladd's weigh-in video. It was bad. It was one of those where I stop and go, wait, sport, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Should any fighter, not a young, cute uh, fighter who hasn't proven herself, any fighter be allowed to fight after walking up to a scale and basically almost passing out and people have to catch her? That's a side topic that I think we kind of need to have. But when that happens, Rando, was that playing on Herb Dean's mind? And if it was, should it? Should, oh, I saw you stumble at the weigh-ins, be in a referee's mind for, oh, I'm going to have a quick hook if you have problems. See, I don't even know if that's a thing, man, because I I don't know how a referee's life is. I don't know if they're following social media for a fight. I don't know if they're allowed to because they might be showing favoritism in some way. I I think that it prob it might have, but I, I don't know because I think she he's more looking at what he's seeing in the fight as opposed to what he saw the day before, you know, because like even at the ceremonial weigh-in, she didn't look bad at all. Like she looked healthy again. She didn't look. She wasn't shaking as on her way out. You know. Well, I mean, and then again, that goes to even, you know, further show that was a correct stoppage because, you know, the fact that she even got knocked down by one punch is more likely a sign of the fact that she was so depleted from the day before. When you when when you cut that much weight, it is basically impossible for your brain to get all the hydration it needs around the, your your uh, your brain cavity so that when you can absorb shots, you can't take shots like that when you're dehydrated because it takes a while for your body to build up the fluid level again to be able to take big shots. And when you're dehydrated and you take a big shot, it just makes it so that you get knocked out. The body goes in shutdown mode. And I think that's what you've seen with Aspen Lad. So if she did survive that shot that she got sat down with, how much more could she survive being the fact that she doesn't have the 
the um the hydration in her body to even sustain big shots. All right, I want to stay right here because you just you just touched on something very important there, Rashad. Brandon and I not. I mean, Brandon's pretty close to a to a fake fighter right now. I mean, he's in the he's in the gym watching uh, women steal uh, meathead's gloves. But uh, him and I are not <laughs> cutting weight for fights. We're not living that life. So when we see video like that, and again, it could be Aspen Ladd, it could be John Jones, it could be anybody. When you see somebody do that, knowing the other videos we've seen about weight cutting and how extreme and insane this is, we cringe. We question ourselves. Should a fighter in your eyes, Rashad, you've been through these cuts. Is that as alarming as it looks? Should a commission shut a fight down when a fighter walks to a scale and has trouble standing? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think I think that's more or less because here, here's the reality. Some fighters can get like that and then still find a way to be OK because they have a, a way to to rehydrate themselves on a level where they're able to compete and, and feel good. I, I think the biggest part, the reason why I say it's, it's really hard to do, because for the most part, you know, most people are not doing what what is really required to get your hydration up at that level. And, and the truth of the matter is that everybody, when they make weight, they just want to pound some water. But it's, it's a systematic hydration process where you sip water throughout the day, even when you're not thirsty and you're constantly just sipping water, gallons of water all throughout the day. And the problem becomes and the reason why um, it was so beneficial before to have IVs, because when you make weight, you know, you want to either eat or you want to drink. But if you drink, then you can't eat as much. You get what I'm saying? So when you were able to do the IV, you're able to eat a lot more and your body is able to recover a lot faster. So now it's just a slower process of just sipping water that a lot of fighters still are not doing, but they're they're kind of slowly starting to learn the process of, of rehydration without the IVs. I'm just telling you, man, this feels like something that will look, be looked back upon as prehistoric years from now. I'm telling you, and it might yeah. take a really bad situation. It might take a death for, for commissions to wake up and go, okay, I know people have been doing this for years in amateur wrestling and boxing and MMA but maybe it's not the healthiest process. Maybe well, we should I mean, weigh in a half hour before the fight starts. Maybe we should do something different. Well, for for women, it's a lot it's a lot harder for women just because they hold and retain water in ways in which men don't. You know, with, with their with their menses and everything else like that, it it kind of puts them in a different uh, a different ballpark when it comes to cutting weight than us fighters. So for them, it can be a lot harder just because of the simple fact that they retain water in ways in which men fighters don't. So Rashad talking it, it, about menstrual cycles. This guy goes deep. <laughs> this is Rashad Evans, folks. This ain't Ryan Bader. Guess what? I'm not Ryan Bader. My word. I'm not Ryan Bader. He's not. He's not, folks. This is this is this is Rashad Evans. I love it. Wow. All right. Hey guys, look, the spin-off story here is GDR, Jermaine Durandamy. She can't stop doing things, whether it's her fault or not, that make people not like her, right? She hits the punches after the bell against Holly Holm. She wins a fight and wins the title when maybe she wasn't supposed to if you're UFC. Then she refuses to fight Cyborg and gets stripped. Now she's back. But every time yeah. I see her fight, she's pretty damn good. I mean, she looked she great is. against Rocky Pennington. She just knocked out unbeaten Aspen Ladd. There's nobody left. Newsflash. For Amanda Nunez to fight, unless they re-sign Cyborg, and as Brandon pointed out to me, Cyborg's doing a lot of Bellator tweeting lately, which could be the future of uh, some intense contract negotiations. But unless you rematch Cyborg, or unless you can get Kat Zingano a few wins in a hurry to make that storyline make sense, guys, I think UFC needs GDR right now. They might not love her, 
But this is the only credible fight to book at 35 or 45 for the greatest of all time. Convince me otherwise. I, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. And I think that the JDR uh, fight sounds so good because, I mean, there, there's an aspect of JDR that's just downright scary. You know, when you look at her accolades and when you look at what she can actually do is from a striking standpoint, her striking accolades, it, it stands head and, and shoulders above any other woman in the weight class. So I think that, you know, when it comes to selling a fight and when it comes to actually uh, putting a fight together that can potentially crown a new champion, I think this is the fight to make. Brandon, is there any irony, by the way, that we're talking about a Herb Dean stoppage that seemed to help Jermaine Duran to me get a big win? When Herb was the referee in 2013, the last time Duran to me lost, when Amanda Nunez mounted her, was throwing short elbows and punches, not really hitting them flush. Herb waves off the fight. Joe Rogan goes nuts on the commentary. Herb giveth and Herb taketh away. Oh, Alanis Morissette. This is ironic, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Right. I'm not. I'm not going to give you anything. Okay, don't, don't. You can no sell me, but then sell me on this. <laughs> sell me on this that six years later, GDR could actually beat Amanda Nunez, and if she could, that'd be UFC's worst freaking nightmare. <laughs> uh, um, to me, this more feels like one of the when Joanna was running the show at Strawweight and. She kind of just needed another opponent and like Carolina Kowalkiewicz. It feels like that kind of fight where it's like we need us. We need to keep our, our champion happy and busy. Let's just give her another opponent, even though they can sell this as a rematch. Like you said, All right. we're, we're late enough in the show where we can say something inappropriate. Carolina and street clothes. All right. There we go. Hey, moving on. Um, so you got to go there, right? Because Rashad, uh, off the top of your head, I don't think you can name me a non-cyborg or Durandami opponent for Miss Nunez that makes any kind of sense. In fact, I challenge no. you. I challenge you to find me. You a name. challenge me. Uh, you, you, that, that challenge would not be accepted because you're absolutely <laughs> right. There, there is no one else besides who you just named. All right. And, and th- another reason why I like that fight is just because of the fact that. I mean, like I said, can I can I bring up the striking ability of, of JDR? I, I'm I'm really impressed with it just because of the fact that I'm I'm a I'm I love to watch striking. I love to watch high level strikers, just watch the little subtleties that they do, and she does them right. The pulling the hand down, that that right there is an old school trick that a lot of people don't show you, but it's one that's a very effective tool. And she's unbeaten as a kickboxer. I mean, she had a legitimate top level career i know there's some thoughts of duranda me as a part-time fighter she's a full-time police officer but she responded to an online video from chael sonnen saying like would she fight nunez and she was like yeah absolutely 100 percent. i'm gonna fight nunez for the title if they ask me let's do it so that's that hey guys we saw in ufc sacramento some big wins from some featherweights in fact three of them josh emmett getting a first round tko against mersad septic tank andre touchy feely <laughs> knocking out Shaman Marais in one round, and Ryan Hall putting on a jiu-jitsu clinic against Darren the Damage Elkins. Rashad, which guy made a larger statement that they could be getting closer to that title shot? I like uh, touchy-feely Andre Feely. I like I like the, uh, his, his progression. You know, I kind of was feeling him when he fought Michael Johnson because I know how terribly difficult Michael Johnson can be to solve. 
you know, just because of the way he moved and stuff like that. But he, he did really good in that fight. And I've just been kind of watching him since then, just kind of watching how he's been progressing. But the combination in which he finished that fight was was nice. You know, right hand, right kick on that side, same side kick. You don't see a lot of athletes do that. You know what I'm saying? Same side, same kick. I actually caught John Jones with the, uh, that was what I caught him with when I caught a kick. I threw a right hand, I threw a right kick. And it catches people because no one's used to the same side, same kick attack. By the way, John Jones told us in that interview you and I did that you hit him with the hardest punch of his career with that big right it. hand. <laughs> and here's the thing, Rashad. I didn't instantly remember that punch because I'm thinking, all right, who hit John Jones the hardest? Well, Machida kind of sneaky rocked him on two occasions. But I went back in yeah. early in round three of UFC 145. Jones Evans, he did a dance. He wasn't lying. He, he put, yeah, he got he caught. put him on Q Street for a second. Yeah, he was. He, he he got caught pretty good, man. I think that was a kick, and I'm not sure what was it a punch or was it a punch? It was a punch. It was I'm a big sure. right hand. Yeah. All right, take that. Yeah. Brandon. Yeah, overhand right. Talk to me about Josh Emmett here. I know he beat your boy. I know you love you some Mursad Bechtick, but he recovered pretty swiftly from getting his face broken against Jeremy Stevens. And what I saw on Saturday was the look of a title challenger. Really? Yes. Uh, I mean, he's up there. It's just, I don't know. I need to see it against the top level guys. Like Mursad Bektik, I I had a semi crush on here, but he's like another guy right now. You know, like he's had a lot of injury problems in the past, and Emmett took him apart, like you said, I, with a jab, bro, with a stiff ass jab. It was really, yeah, that was really weird. Um, I want to see Emmett against somebody in the top five. I think that makes the most sense for him now. But, yeah, this was really impressive. I think they were underselling how good Ryan Hall was, though, yeah, by the way, just because it was against Darren Elkins. Let's close on that note. Rashad, Ryan Hall can do things that other fighters can't. But can this style work against the very elites at Featherweight? Here's the thing about it. He's so good on the ground, and it's kind of like that Damian Maia thing. All he has to do is just get you in his wheelhouse, and you're going to make a mistake that he can capitalize off of. But, however, as we've seen with the um, Ben Askren fight, every single fight starts in that scary place where the grappler has to be able to mend the distance. That's in the stand-up. Ryan Hall's stand-up is not, it's not even, it's, 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 it's almost non-existent to the point where you even consider it a factor when you're fighting him. You know what I'm saying? I think that, I think that he's going to have to close the distance in, in, in a way that, um, confuses people a lot more. You know what I'm saying? He's going to have to learn a lot more with the stand up and actually try to, to throw some combinations together. I think that's the only way for him to elevate his game all together. And I think that's the only way for him to get by those harder challenges that's going to be in, in the upper, you know, the upper, the, those guys with the higher ranks. Because truth of the matter is, guys that are higher ranks, they're not only skill wise, uh, technically better but they're also mentally stronger and they're also smarter so therefore they're not going to put themselves in a position to 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 allow ryan hall's skill to even uh overwhelm them at all i want him to see him do that miyagi voodoo against the best i want to see if that crap works i love specialists i love sort of guys that play one note and they play it really really well it reminds me of the ufc of old i'm an old school guy all right that's it for the first sacramento we got to put it in the books Brandon Weiss, a lot going on in the headlines, bro. Serve me up. Tell, tell us some things. 
All right, we have to shift gears to Bellator because Scott Coker yesterday announced the 16-man featherweight tournament. Oh. Are you ready for this, Rashad? Yes. So the first matchup, not on the first card, but the first matchup, Patricio Pitbull Fier will take on Juan Archuleta. Oh, okay. The fight that we actually talked about after that, after Pitbull won, that that makes the most sense for him to fight next. That That's going to be the first fight of the 16-man tournament. Then we go. Sam Cecilia versus Pedro Carvalho, Daniel Strauss against Derek Campos, Pat Curran against Adam Borix. Oh, yeah. Emmanuel mm. Sanchez versus Taiwan Claxton, AJ McKee against Georgie Karakanyan. I think I said that right. I didn't. No, no. Um, Darian Caldwell against Henry Corrales, and Daniel Weichel against Saul Rogers. Ooh. Okay, I like No, this. not in this tournament, by the way. Aaron Pico. That's where I was going next. What's going on uh, here? What are we doing here? Are they they they're stepping back? They're pulling back? Listen, I I think it's I think it's great that Pico's not in this tournament. Here's why. Pico needs to to just kind of hit a readjustment. You know what I'm saying? He came from uh one gym, then he went to Jackson's, suffered a, another devastating loss at Jackson's. So now I think he just needs to just take a minute to recalibrate himself, get with a, a good team. Back in, and, and not not saying that Jackson's not a good team, but here's the thing: every team don't fit your style. Every coach is not going to be the coach for you. So Pico just has to find that perfect combination for him that's going to be able to get him to be uh, flawless in his style because he's just so close. You know, he has that wrestling aspect, he has that 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 striking aspect, and it's just that we can see it. It's just uh, you know, and that's the most frustrating part when you when you're a fan and you're watching someone like Pico who has. They're just uh, just a little bit away from hitting that perfect thing to be like, okay, this guy's a force. I think keeping him out of the tournament, allowing him to grow would be uh, huge for him. Yeah, I can't argue against that. And I like – look, this division has long been a sleeper in Bellator. It bangs. They've got names. I like the mix of old and new in this. I mean, look, your boy Adam Borks might be a sleeper here. Yeah, Borks, Borks is a sleeper, man. I think that uh, – he he's one that's going to surprise a lot of people in his weight class. You know, um, what he did to Pico is uh, you know something that I've been watching this kid do for a long time in training practice. You know, for you know for every Michael Johnson, for every uh, Eddie, uh, not every ever else, uh, Michael Chandler, and and all those guys who train at, at three sixty five. For every great athlete that we've seen come out of there, there's this guy pushing them. The guy in the background that you never really heard of, who was who was giving him the, the the toughest out in practice. You know, he's been battle tested in training. So this tournament, I think he's going to do surprisingly well in this tournament. I think this is going to be his coming up party. I think the biggest matchup for me personally is going to be Darian Caldwell and Henry Corrales because that's just a banger right there. Yes. And Caldwell is moving up; he's getting out of that bantamweight hellhole i would say after he was a champion and lost twice to kyoji or gucci and now we're going to finally see what he looks like when he's not dehydrating himself like we've talked about so many times he's going to look like a more complete fighter i think you know who i want to see i want to see air claxton air claxton used to be a black <laughs> zillion you know he hasn't he hasn't uh you know ever since that flying knee you mm-hmm. remember that flying knee mm-hmm. remember that flying? <laughs> you know he never let anybody forget that flying <laughs> knee he made t-shirts about that flying knee so <laughs> I'm excited to see him go back out there because he's one of those athletes who 
really loves to go out there and put on a show. You know, he likes to go out there and be the entertaining guy. And I think that a guy like that would be great for a tournament because he's going to bring some excitement. BC, you ready for one more? Let's do it. So Scott Coker in that interview yesterday with Ariel Hawani also teased that we might be heading toward a Bellator and Risen Super Show in December with a main event, possibly. You ready? Yeah. Fedor versus Rampage. Oh. <laughs> See, l- listen, 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 listen. I love that fight. That's some sloppy business. I love it. I love it. That that makes my heart sing just because of the fact that, <laughs> man, I, I'm an old school guy like you, BC, and I and I love to to hear of slobber knockers like this because you know what's going to happen. You know, somebody's getting knocked out in this fight. <laughs> I whooped that ass. Yeah. What else can he say? You got you got anything else to say, Rampage? But black folks love me, man. Black girls love me too, man. I get hit on by black girls all the time. I'd be like, oh, I'll be showing, I'll be showing my nipple, I'll be doing my nipple dance. Right, right, that's, that, is <laughs> that is enough. Uh, I love that fight. I love this uh, Musasi Machida fight that Bellator is going to roll out oh, later this man. fall too. That's also going to be on the uh, September 28th card as a part of that featherweight tournament. That'll be, I think, the headline. No. The Pitbull, Juan Archuleta is the main event, and then Machida Musasi is the co-main event. I'm really liking this fight, man. Machida, to me, ha- has kind of turned a corner. You know, he, he uh, he's looking like a better version of, of himself, you know? And and why I say that is because we know he doesn't have the youth as he used to, that speed and everything else like that. But what he's been able to do is he's been able to adjust his game. He's been able to adjust that karate style to fit his new fighting style. And that's something that, a lot of old fighters, if they want to compete and have that second wind, as you see, uh, as you see um, Machida doing, mm-hmm. you have to be able to modify your game. And I'm glad to see that he's doing it because he's looking phenomenal. Uh, and also on? on that September 7th card, sorry, BC, on Bellator 226 is going to be Ryan Bader defending his heavyweight title against Czech Congo. Uh, I, pass uh. I pass on that one. You pass on it. I you do. pass on it. I you, mean, I'll, I'll watch it, but come, on, it doesn't move me. Come on, Bader with that left hook. I don't know. I mean, I love Bader, heavyweight that, Bader. That, I love the idea of a quick a wrestler who's improved his his uh, his striking. punching game. But um, I mean, really, Czech Congo right now, really, actually, Czech Congo's got a he's on a, quite a run with Bellator. It's it's he's on that's like a nine five winning that's, streak. That's what, that's what I'm like. Are you tripping, BC? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is, Czech, it's this ain't 2006 though. Anyway, uh, what, what's going on with this uh, John Jones Johnny Walker public beef? What's happening here? Why is this is in your wheelhouse? This is my wheelhouse because it's Johnny Weirdo. Because you love Did Johnny you Walker Weirdo. You love this guy. He says that he could have beaten the John Jones we saw at UFC 239, even Ooh. even with his hurt shoulder. And he's also still calling for Francis Ngannou and thinks that one day he can move up to heavyweight and beat Francis. Did you say they have the I, same I, I, I love the fact that Johnny Walker is is talking like this. I really do because here here's the reality. You know, at this point, at John Jones is, is in his career. You know, he's he's at that legendary status where most of his competition is beat before he even steps into the octagon. You know, when you have someone like Johnny Walker, who's taking him off that pedestal right away, saying stuff like I would whoop his butt, you know, at the, I would have whooped his butt at that fight that he just did. That right there, it, it says a lot about his his mindset. It says a lot about the fight that we would see if they would fight, because he's not going to be one who's going to. 
uh, sit on his haunches and kind of wait to see what John Jones is going to do. He's going to go out there and he's going to put the pressure on John Jones. You know, that's that's the kind of fight that's going to uh, change, you know, potentially change who's holding that belt. You know, that's the kind of wow. challenge that John Jones needs. He needs somebody who believes that they truly believe that they can beat him. It would bring out the best in John because I can say all Absolutely. these weird things about Johnny, but he he has that. We said it before on the show. He has that thing where you don't really know where his ceiling is because of how spectacular these these wins are. Because it's and, 30 seconds and a flying knee. You don't really know how good he is. And here's another dangerous, dangerous aspect that Johnny Walker brings to the table is the fact that, you know, He's creative and he's athletic and he's physically gifted. Those are all the three attributes that John Jones, you know, ha- has has really splashed on the scene with and, and has made uh, has, I guess, had the biggest advantage over his competition in those three areas. Uh, I think John Jones has one aspect that, you know, Johnny Walker doesn't. And that's the cerebral part of the game. But that comes with time. But I would say for the first three factors. I would say uh, it's pretty compelling matchup, you know, and it's pretty even matchup just off of athleticism, creativity, and the, and the physical gifts. And, and off of what we don't know. And I normally, and you've heard me on the show, rant about, hey, John Jones, go to heavyweight already. There's nobody. But Johnny Walker is that wild card because, Rashad, he doesn't know that he's not supposed to be that confident. He's almost ignorant yeah. to that. And yes. because we don't really know how good he is, this is actually one of those cases where you you might want to just throw him out there and see what happens. Like, holy crap, I love it. I love it. I love it, man. I love it. Ain't <laughs> that. All right, Brandon, I've come full circle. And by the way, John, what's confirmed to me is that Johnny Walker is a weirdo. Brandon showed me some commercial for cybersecurity. I, no, no, do not put that on me. Jack sent you that. that. That sees Johnny Walker sitting at a computer. They're trying to make it seem like he's watching porn, but he's really knitting. It's weird, man. It's <laughs> It's really like cybersecurity. Hey, y'all gotta leave my, 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 my guy Johnny Walker weirdo alone, yeah. man. I like the weirdo. I like the weirdness. Listen, BC's gonna buy me the shirt of Johnny Walker once he wins the belt because that's going to be our next t-shirt bet and we it's going to be great we do great t-shirt bets here rashad when johnny have, johnny walker weirdo when we have a fight we're I, invested in we make the other person buy us one of those weird <laughs> ufc.com shirts i've got a team baron hen and brow shirt that i proudly wear and soon my next t-shirt win is going to get me that home sweet home t-shirt all right that's what i'm talking yeah, how'd, that, about. how'd that work out for you at 239 hey rashad real quick there were i know gilbert melendez said goodbye after that loss at 239 we were kind of debating the idea of either if you're talking about Holly Holm or if you're talking about Diego Sanchez or potentially if you're talking about Luke Rockhold based on Dana White's comments, should mm. any of those three join Gilbert in your eyes? And I'm not trying to make a, a flashy headline. Rashad says this guy should retire. But does Dana have any right? And is he kind of right on saying all three of those should consider ending it? Here, here's the thing about it, like. This is the fight game, and, and in the fight game, it, you're gonna have those those fights where you get knocked out like that, and and you, you you suffer some terrible defeats. Now, in the case of Holly Holm, you know she she that was her first time that we've seen her really get knocked out like that. So, I don't think she should retire. She is. I mean, then it gets to the point of what left do you have to. You know what left that she has to do. I still think that she still does a good job of of pulling in some numbers for the women and, and just and just in general. You know, I think that she she's a very interesting fighter to watch, and I think she can still bring in some numbers. So I don't think that she could. You know, she needs to retire. Um, Diego Diego's been in the game for a while, and 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 at some point, you know, 
Um, I never like to tell anybody, you know, it's time to retire. But then it's like, all right, why are we still doing this? You know, what what are we still doing this? Because at some point you have to say, am I doing this, you know, for the right reasons? You know, am I doing this because it still burns in me deeply and it's all I can, you know, all I really think of doing. But then at the same time, even if you still have that aspect, you do have to understand that, okay, I have to have a life after this. I have to be able to speak, function, and be able to, you know, live in society. So is this, am I, is my fighting cutting into that? So I think, you know, for Diego, that's something he may, he may need to look at. But Luke, um, he's been on a bad fluke lately, you know, bad, uh, you know, it's it's bad. I don't think he needs to retire. I think he needs to um, just he needs humility, Rashad. I'm going to say it right here. He needs a little bit more in cage humility and respect for his opponents. Okay, you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah, not I, and I'm but, not saying that because I'm sore but, but, that on but, camera I asked him about, about his DMs yeah. and he no sold me. I'm not saying that's the reason I'm saying it, but you know it's serious. I mean, listen, it's it, it's like this. I mean. Luke is one of those guys who who's been able to be at the top for a, for a long time in the UFC, you know. And when you're in that position, you know, you 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 kind of, uh, I guess, you can get caught in what you used to be or what how things used to be. You know what I'm saying? I think that for Luke, you know, he still he still sees himself as that beast, and he is still that beast. But you know. There's a lot that he still has to go out there and do now that he's moving up in a new weight class. He has to go out there and reestablish the fact that he's a beast, you know, and I think he goes out there and he does that. Then I think he can, you know, have those this that he can talk the way that he's been previously talking. But talking the way he's been talking and, and not performing is is kind of making people say things like he needs to retire, like him and Dana White. They, they never really seen eye to eye. And now, especially that Luke is on his tough little uh, skid, you know, of course, Dana White is going to say <laughs> he's he's going to throw that in there. But, but I mean, God. Luke's body looked like a wonderland at 205, though. That guy should get into, uh, I don't know. Uh, Modeling. I mean, oh, he guy's... is. <laughs> it's funny you said wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, Brandon, can you get us fired up over this? rumored featherweight fight in Mexico. Good Lord. So the Korean zombie originally said that he was not going to fight unless he got a main event slash title level bout before the uh, South Korea card that's being talked about for November. Well, apparently they came back with an offer for the TKZ that he couldn't refuse. And he's going to allegedly... We're, they're working on making a fight with him and Brian Ortega for September 21st in Mexico City. Oh, insert that inside me, Rashad, please. <laughs> Yo, I, I would love to absolutely have the, to watch that fight, man. I mean, Brian Ortega coming back and, and, and Korean Zombie, who's been looking absolutely amazing lately. Listen, Korean Zombie is one of my favorite fighters just because of the fact that, you know, he he's he he can go out there and he can take punishment. He likes taking punishment, and he delivers. He's got some power in those hands that you don't really typically see at that weight class, you know. And and if you think that he's only one style, he always has a way of adapting his game. So it makes it so hard when you have to fight a guy like Korean Zombie. But Brian Ortega, you know, this guy 
you know, and I can only imagine how much better he has gotten since we last seen him because, you know, his his his, his progression was just absolutely amazing before the fight with Max Holloway, you know, but now we have uh, a Max Holloway who's had to uh, take that pill and, and swallow it, you know, that loss and, and imagine what he's done with that time. You know, his his ground game, I imagine, gotten a lot better. But I think the the thing that we're going to see when he comes back is an evolution of a stand up. His box has probably gotten so much better. And I think that that's going to be the thing that we're just like, oh, OK, we've seen him before. But now this Brian Ortega is better. And then the fact that, I mean, he's hanging out with Holly Barry, I heard. So, so <laughs> he's my me, idol. <laughs> let me get into that. Brando, you and I yes. saw Ortega at New York, New York over uh, 239 weekend. And your boy BC bricked and forgot to ask him if he smashed Holly. What would he have said, Brandon? <laughs> I don't know. You interrupted his conversation with Aljamain Sterling and then tried to double, discount double check in front of Aljo for some reason. So, yeah, that was you just right, completely fumbling up, the situation. Up there, that's my time. All right, my time. Okay, I, I made that happen. All right, we got to close on this new segment here. And I know you love that fight too, Brando. Uh, we got to close on this new segment. Uh, good Lord, what the hell is Combate America's doing here with uh, – Yeah, we should have gone from like the sadness of Luke Rockhold into this. And then gone back up to TKZ and Brian Ortega because are you ready, Rashad? Yes. Tito Ortiz is going to fight again, and he's going to fight Alberto Del Rio, the former WWE superstar who once upon a time fought in Pride against Mirko Krokop with where a mask. He wore a luchador, with, a, with a luchador mask on. Oh man! And he got head kicked to hell. Oh man! <laughs> Guys, listen, 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 listen. I, I've, I've said I'm retired from fighting, but when guys like T, <laughs> I mean, dang, uh, I, I, I'm old, I'm old, but I, 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 I'm, I think I can beat Tito. Hey, again. Golden Boy MMA, it's trilogy time. Evans, and Tito, let's do it. <laughs> nah, it's, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, but it's good to see, uh, you know, Tito out there still doing it, man. But is dang. it really though? Is it really good to see? Tito I don't know. Still I don't. Man? I don't know. Let's bring man. in Trail. Tito always says like? I'm using my mouth to get my opportunities. The only person I know that made money using their mouth is his ex-wife. Okay, that's that's too far. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, that's too far. Wow, seriously. Wow, Sonnen. Yes, good lord. Uh, I'm done talking about that fight. I want to talk about UFC San Antonio this weekend on big ESPN, folks. A big deal. Guys, I love the absolute ish about this welterweight main event. Non-washed RDA. Sound the alarms. BC was wrong. Rafael Dos Anjos took Kevin Lee apart. He ain't washed, brother, and he's got red-hot Leon Edwards coming at him. And, guys, with the upswing in the 170-pound division, with Jorge Masvidal being hot right now, with a new champion, with some names going on, I feel like we should care about this fight a lot more than maybe we would have because there's potential big fight implications for the winner. Absolutely, man. Listen, the, the the welterweight division is on fire. You know, it is the premier the weight class to watch just because there's so many different storylines in that weight class and so many potential matchups that, you know, fans would love to see. And uh, this is one of them. You know, Rafael Dos Anjos and, and Leon Edwards, you know, Leon Edwards is, is uh, you know, he, he's coming off that that three piece, <laughs> that three piece soda slap that uh, he got from Jorge Masvidal. So that makes this matchup even more compelling because. You would have to think a win by Leon Edwards would put him right 
in position to fight a Jorge Masvidal. But I mean, it, it's just so many different amazing matchups that can be uh, made from this weight class. And Rafael dos Anjos, my goodness, you know where to put him after he, you know, looked amazing against Kevin Lee and showed that you know he can stumble, but no matter what, he will always find his feet just like a cat. Hey Brando, if you're Leon Edwards and you win this, you have to call out the ish out of Jorge Masvidal. And you might actually get it. I know we want Jorge in a title shot or a Connor fighter or whatever, but I kind of feel like with all the other names in the Covington Lawler situation, that might be the fight that ends up happening. Yeah, he can't really run scared after how that all played out anymore. Like, you can't be the guy who rushed up to somebody backstage with his hands up looking for a fight, get caught, get bloodied up, and then not say, I want George right now. (laughs) You know, like, he can't do any. I don't think there's anything else he can do besides call out Jorge at this point. Like there, there isn't another fight that makes sense for him if he beats Andre, Dos Anjos this weekend. And the thing about it is, he's going to be talking about Jorge all week because every every reporter is going to be talking about, oh, so you win this fight, you're going to want to fight Jorge, right? I mean, he's going to he's going to be that's going to be playing in his mind the whole time. So if he wins this fight, that's probably going to be the first name he says. I like this fight a lot. I think RDA might, if he wins this, man, he's probably another win outside of a title shot. Or maybe he's in a just stay healthy and if somebody gets hurt, we'll call you type of deal for a title shot. You never know, man. He's looking good. I will will say this, though. I feel like Kevin Lee is on that same plane as Luke Rockhold in that he was very cocky and arrogant going into those last couple of fights. I don't think he took RDA seriously, and I think that's what left RDA open to finish him that way. I think that Ke- that Leon Edwards is a different animal altogether, and I think this might not go RDA's way. All right. I want to ask you guys, what do we do with Greg Hardy here? He's going to be in the third bout on the main card against Juan Adams. And when I say what do we do with, I- I'm not talking about the other storylines we used to talk about with Greg Hardy in his last few fights, about the outside, the cage stuff, all that. I'm talking about these recent comments from Greg Hardy, who's saying he has the potential to be the Michael Jordan of combat sports and... He has potential to be the greatest heavyweight fighter in history because he's now talking about a potential professional boxing career. Um, Rashad, what the hell is going on? What's in the water at ATT? Is he drinking from a separate fountain? What's happening? Listen, Ed Ed Hardy. um, Ed Hardy? How about Greg Hardy? Let's talk about Greg Hardy. Greg Greg Hardy, Ed Hardy, Ed Hardy. My bad. Greg Hardy, you know, he sets his, he sets his goals high. You know, I, I know the guy and um, he he's just like that. You know, he has the utmost faith and, and, and belief in himself. And I love that about him. I love the fact that he has that in himself. But here's the thing. You're in MMA. We, we have to stay focused on MMA. And especially when you're um, starting late in the game, you know, and you have so much that, you know, Greg still needs to learn. And uh, I think that MMA should should be it for him right now. If he's going to really do what he says that he can do in MMA, because, yeah, we get, it. you know, he's got a lot of power and he hits with bad intentions and stuff like that. But there's still a lot of questions about his game that need to be answered. How does he do on the ground? How does he do with, you know, that whole aspect of it? How does he feel when someone is is giving it to him back? You know, there there's there's a lot of aspects of the fight game in MMA that he still needs to answer. Um, I like the fact that he does show that kind of belief in his faith in himself. Uh, but at the same time. You know, you got to crawl before you walk. And right now he's he's learning to crawl. Yeah, keep crawling. I mean, like, impress me. Come out here and look great in this fight. Impress me. But God, good 
Lord. I mean, you got anything to add on this? But he, I'm getting angry at him now. These kind of comments are just bizarre. He's, you know, it, it is bizarre, but Greg is, um, Greg is, Greg is a very, Greg is one of those guys who, um, he feels as if like this whole MMA is, is something that's, that's been, I guess, ordained by God for him, you know what I'm saying? Just because this is exactly where he should be at. And, you know, everything that has, uh, in his life has led him to, to this position. So he takes being in this position really, really serious. And when it comes to training, when it comes to fighting every single aspect of it, this guy is dead serious about, you know, sometimes he'll, he'll hit me up and we'll speak. And, uh, you know, I, he just has a focus that you don't really see with a lot of athletes, you know, and, so it may come across as crazy, but it's it's one hundred percent passion. All right, bro. Hey, uh, Brandon Wise. <laughs> um, you know what my favorite cup fight on this card might be? Ben Rothwell, Andre Arlovsky. Stop that. <laughs> James Vick Dan Hooker is an yes. insanely good fight, and it yeah. may be a loser leaves town only from the idea of like having a future in terms of title contention and climbing a ladder, both guys coming off losses two in a row for Vic. And this is sort of a, who's still in line here. Who's still got it. I love the ish out of this man. Who you got in this one, Brando, man. I really want to see James Vic succeed. I think the weirdness of him being like a six, one one er and being so long is a, just makes such an interesting dynamic in that division. But the way he's looked in his last couple of fights, I'm still skeptical now. We also need to see how Dan Hooker looks coming off of that huge loss he had against Edson Barbosa, where he just didn't seem to know how to defend those leg kicks. And to be honest, nobody really knows how to defend Edson Barbosa's That's leg kicks. That's a violent man, Edson Barbosa. Remember when you and I saw him at ATT hitting those pads? That was just violence, man. Yeah, so I think this might be a train wreck of violence, so to speak. Um, I think Dan Hooker should win. But I won't be surprised with the result either way here. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup. You know, Hooker trains with Israel and uh, Adesanya. So I think that, you know, he's going to be you know, riding off of that momentum that Israel's bringing into the whole camp and to the whole team, you know. So uh, I think he's going to be tight. You know, I think he's going to be um, coming in that fight to uh, go out there and make a point. You know, and the same thing with James Vick. James Vick is you know, riding a two fight uh, losing streak. And when you're on that proverbial bubble, you know, your next fight is always that the most important fight. So, uh, you know, James is going to have to um, go out there and, and, you know, fight himself in a sense, because when you are on that bubble, you're fighting your opponent. But for the most part, you're fighting yourself. You're fighting, you know, those those hesitations that may have cost you to lose those last fights or you may have you may be fighting the hesitation that you may now have because you lost those two, those two fights, you know? And, um, that's where the whole mental part of fighting comes in. That's where the whole part of like, okay, uh, I lost two fights, but now I had to fight as if like, I'm not afraid to lose. I like that. And I that if he goes out there and he fights, like he's not afraid to lose, then he can have a great night. Very interesting. Another good lightweight fight, of course. Alexander Hernandez looking to come back from that Cerrone uh, loss and really continue to prove himself against Francisco Trinaldo. But, uh, Brando, you brought up this fun. Is it fun? This fun rematch. <laughs> it's Andre Lovsky and Beth Ben Rothwell. And for anyone, all you history majors, a rematch of their 2008 bout. 
at Affliction Band, the pay-per-view funded by WWE Hall of Famer Donald Trump, and also the (laughs) pay-per-view that featured a Megadeth concert. This was July of 2008. Rashad, you were, I believe, in training camp for Chuck Liddell. That's a long-ass time ago, dude. Yeah, it was. I actually met uh went to go meet Donald Trump that weekend in uh <laughs> in New York City. Uh so it, yeah, it, it, that's pretty impressive, man. Wow, a long time ago. Different different landscape of what MMA was back then, I'll tell you that. It, it was uh a different place, but the matchup then, um, yeah, it, it's it's gonna be exciting to see both of those guys get after each other after, you know, so many years, you know, because both of those guys have changed so much. You have age on the side uh, of both of them. But I think for the most part, it's more on the side of Andre Olowski. You know, Ben Rothwell has been in and out of the octagon and more out than in. But uh, I think he has more life. Yeah, sorry, hit the button. A little, little, uh, little early. On Ben Rothwell's weird laugh. Right now, there is not a man in this planet that can stop me inside this octagon. And only politics can slow me. I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Politics and you saw. Oh my gosh. The, 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 okay, there it is on that one, guys. Um, if, let me just note, by the way, Andre Arlovsky since 2016, two, eight, and one no contest. Uh, that's, that's almost <laughs> pen levels. That's gross. That is gross. Um, Hey, some names on this preliminary card. I, I might have to tune in. I mean... I care about Raquel Pennington and Irene Aldana, maybe a little bit. I don't. Are you fired right. up for Roxy Modafari and Jen Maya rematching their Invicta flyweight championship fight, Brandon? No. Nothing. Why are you lying to people and saying you're going to watch any of this card? You're going to be at Pacquiao Thurman. Oh, you're right. Sorry, I will not be there for Sam Alvey making a comeback. Okay, <laughs> um, that's it. Hey, that's it, guys. I'm shutting the show down. That is it. Another week in the books. The Hall of Famer. Sugar Rashad by our side. Hey guys, this show works, and it's also not the only thing that works. I could be fat, I could not have a six pack, but my dick works. <laughs> my dick works. Wow, how do we bounce back from that? Hey guys, I got 241 fever. I know 240's coming, a couple of you know, Covington Lawler's coming, but give me, give me that Stipe DC fight now. You feeling what I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, BC. I want to see that one because. I've heard DC looks absolutely phenomenal, dropping people in practice. And DC at heavyweight is bringing some power that we have not seen DC bring throughout his career, except for at heavyweight. So uh, it, it's it's um it's going to be a great matchup. Right, is he going to be near the 265 limit though? He's thick. He's thick. He might be over. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna have to cut weight, man. DC I see was looking big, man. But listen, Stipe, man, Stipe. I, here's what I don't like about I don't feel like Stipe gets enough credit, man, because Stipe on paper is one of the best heavyweight, if not the best heavyweight on record, just because he's been defending the titles and everything else like that. So T- Stipe is is one of the best heavyweights ever, but he doesn't get that that respect, you know, and I'm just like, man, Stipe is so freaking good and he can wrestle, he can punch, he's got an all-american story he's a fireman but he just i don't know why people just don't probably dig on steve the way they should probably because he tapped out against Overeem. all right it was that a half was... joke it was a half <laughs> joke okay it spawned websites and t-shirts of steve tapped i don't know did he really tap right he didn't tap right he didn't tap alistair felt it 
Alistair Felton. <laughs> uh, I want to do ask you one hard question before we close, Rashad. Um, we we look at DC's incredible resume, and I think he's at that upper room, like I talk about, of the five, six greatest fighters this sport has seen. Maybe you think that's too much. I think it's legit. But when we look at his resume, we go, okay, great career, but obviously his biggest problem was John Jones. I'm going to give you an alternate theory. DC's biggest problem isn't John Jones. It's that he's too good of a friend. True or false, if DC wasn't so good to Kane, right now we would consider him the greatest heavyweight in this sport's history. True. Very true. Very true. Because wow. he, he probably would have fought Kane by then. But here's the thing, though. Here is the thing. From what I hear in practice, that Kane used to used to be able to give DC the business. Wow. When, 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 so from what I hear in practice, and this is, I mean, I'm not trying to start no practice rumors, but from what I hear in practice that Kane was the top dog and nobody could beat Kane. Kane was so good, Kane could beat everyone in the room. That makes you wonder that's, whether DC's that's, that's a really how, great friend. That's how, good, just... that's how good Kane, that's how good Kane was. Wonder so. if DC's a great friend or he's just really smart. That could also be it. I love that. <laughs> they're, they're also known as the camp who injures themselves because they spar too hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love Which is story. probably why Kane has been injured for so long. Yeah, because they spar so hard. Thank you for joining us, man. I love you you too, DC. Thank you. I love this show. I love you guys. I love our listeners. Hit us up at State of Combat, at BrandonY65, at what? Sugar Rashad? Rashad. Yeah. BC, don't do me like that. It's at Sugar Rashad Evans, baby. Sorry, sorry. How about at the Hall of Fame? All right. At HOF, (laughs) our guy and yours. Another week in the book. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Rashad, you got to sell anything? You know, you're going to be wearing your jacket around Boca. What's happening? No, no, nothing, nothing to sell, nothing to sell yet, except for um, I'm, I'm launching this project. It's called For Always Progress. And what we're doing is we're uh, rebuilding, uh, I guess, renovating new uh, North Miami gyms for high school kids. Oh, nice. You know, yeah, these kids um, all year round, they go to the, the, the school, you know, and they work out in these gyms and these gyms that they they were working out in, the weights were broken. It was just. It, it was worse than a prison, to be honest. So we are uh, putting some money together. We're donate. We're uh, raising some money to uh, renovate these gyms for these kids for football season. And you know, having these kids actually help and put a little piece into it too is going to give them a sense of pride and things like that. But uh, that's what I'm into. That's a project that I'm in, just kind of helping the kids out. So that's nice. my big sales. I like, sales. That. I like nice. that a lot. I, I stand behind that. People should support that for sure. And uh, hey, RIP to the great Boxing Hall of Famer, Pernell Whitaker. Did not get a chance to really break that down on this week's boxing podcast due to timing of when the show was released. But Rashad, you got to love some Sweet Pea back in the day. That, that was tough. Oh, man. I, I, I love Sweet Pea. You know, he was the first one who I really looked into, like, defensively boxing and just, you know, found so much beauty in what he's able to do, the way he's was able to move. I mean, before. Floyd Mayweather, there was Sweet Pea. Indeed. I think he almost gets lost in the modern era. We talk about the greats of being Tyson, Roy Jones, Oscar, through to Mayweather, and people forget that during that run, Pernell Whitaker was pound for pound king for a while, and he got screwed against Chavez. Hashtag never forget. But hey, folks, it is Pacquiao Thurman this weekend, so be sure to check out our State of Combat boxing show. Big time interview with Keith Thurman, getting all inside the skin of Manny Pacquiao. 
picks, and more. You do not want to miss it. This show's over, folks. That's it for Brandon Wise and the Hall of Famer Sugar Rashad Evans. It's your boy, BC, telling you we'll see you again. I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to sit out with my friends and family. And hell, I might even get on top of my wife tonight. See you